Hi, it's David Locke, host of Locked on NBA. Today, it's the biggest stories in the NBA from the local angle edition of Locked on NBA. We'll start in Boston with John Corrales of Locked on Celtics. We'll move to Toronto to see whether or not they can take advantage of the void in the Eastern Conference with Sean Woodley. And the team that's maybe most interesting to me in the West is one who doesn't believe in the Oklahoma City Thunder. Could the Minnesota Timberwolves be the team that take fourth in the Western Conference? And we'll do that with Colt Molesky of Lockdown Wolves. Those are the three stories that we're covering on this edition of Lockdown NBA. The biggest stories from the local angle. Make sure you subscribe to your local Locked On NBA show. Today's show is brought to you by Warby Parker and, of course, by SeatGeek, our title sponsor of Locked On NBA. Use the promo code LOCKED to get $20 off your first purchase with SeatGeek. Let's get it going from Boston to Toronto to Minnesota. The biggest stories in the NBA from the local angle. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We'll start our run around the biggest stories in the NBA for the local experts in Boston, as you'd expect today on Locked On NBA with John Corrales of Locked On Celtics. And John, obviously, the lead story is the Gordon Hayward injury. Uh, horrific. Uh, you know, Joe Theismann, Kevin Ware-esque. Uh, what, what's been the reaction, uh, the mood, and the feeling in Boston? Well, it's just complete shock. I think people are still in shock. You had a completely renovated team, four players back from last year's Eastern Conference finalists, built around the talents of Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward. I mean, Hayward is the first guy. He was the first domino to fall. And it's kind of funny. We've been so focused on all of the other things that have been happening. Kyrie is the most recent thing. We've been so focused on all that other stuff. Hayward just kind of drifted into the background. And we we figured we'd talk about Hayward – once the season started, we got to see him kind of do what he did. Then all of a sudden, for it to just end five minutes in was just completely, utterly shocking. When I saw it, it the, the entire rest of the first half became a fog. Fans kind of fell into a fog. The team on the court fell into a fog. And, and we're still just kind of like really looking around to see if this is almost real. And now we're trying to force ourselves to look forward and say, okay, now, now what? Now what happens? What do the Celtics become without Gordon Hayward? And and all of a sudden, uh, a short preseason, a jam-packed early schedule, and now one of your star players going down, this, this entire first part of the season is completely upended. Let's go to the the uncomfortable question that everyone's avoiding correctly, right? Okay? Like, everyone's doing the right thing right now, which is, we know how hard Gordon works. I know it firsthand. I saw it. I saw his evolution. Uh, and everyone's saying the right thing. We know he'll come back better than ever. How much concern is there that when you have an ankle injury that's this severe, that some websites think is as worse than Paul George's leg break, that he doesn't come back the same again? Well, that I, I think the biggest question is in his mind. Because... The, the ankle, I actually, having read all of the things that, that have come out since the injury, I feel comfortable that the ankle will heal. Everybody seems to think the ankle will heal fine. The break was clean. No real ligament damage. It wasn't a compound fracture like Paul George. The dislocation was reset pretty quickly. So everything's going to go back to normal as far as that goes. But 
unlike Paul George's injury where it was a freak thing where you just jumped and the stanchion was too close and he landed in the spot where he thought he was safe. That doesn't, you can sit there mentally and say, I know that's not going to happen again, but Hayward's injury, he was jumping for an alley-oop. He got, he got undercut a little bit, but that's a play that happens. All you jump and you land how many hundreds of times a game you jump, you land, there's a foot there. We've seen guys, fall and sprain their ankles his just kind of landed in, in a much more awkward way and the weight of it just caused the injury mentally you know that's happening all the time can you get over it can you go and jump into the lane into traffic with confidence I mean, you've seen it i've seen it in watching his game film he does attack he does take contact he flies into the lane he can attack the basket pretty strongly that's a big part of his game. The threat of Gordon Hayward driving is a big part of his game. If he's afraid to jump into the lane and he just becomes a pull-up jump shooter, then that takes away an enormous part of his game, and, and that will change who he is fundamentally as a player. So the mental aspect, if we're worrying about long-term effects, the physical aspect, I'm not worried about. The mental part that's going to take some time. That's going to take a lot of work to get in there and jump and play aggressively with confidence when he gets back on the floor. All right, I'm going to go on the other side just because I know Gordon. I think he'll mentally get through it, and I'm I'm concerned. And I actually mean this, and I'll just and then we can move on. I mean this more as a tribute to how incredible the athletes in this league are. And what I mean by that is these guys are the world's greatest, and don't underestimate what that means at all. And so – when you, if you're at all off, it gets exposed in this league, and that's that would be my concern. Just that your balance, you're just not quite right, and maybe it's the mental part you're talking about. Let's move forward. Um, who is this Boston Celtic team now? Uh, you know, this Boston Celtics team is kind of what they were last year. Really, when you boil it down, you've got uh, and, and and minus a couple of key pieces, but you've got in Kyrie Irving, the star point guard that can take over when he needs to. And so that plays like the Isaiah Thomas role. You have Al Horford back, and, and Al Horford makes everybody better. And the, the problem as compared to last year is what we don't have is the Avery Bradley shooting ability. You don't have Jay Crowder's necessarily shooting ability. You don't have a Kelly Olynyk shooting ability coming off the bench. The shooting has taken a little bit of a dip, and you've got to hope that Tatum or uh, Jalen Brown – where Marcus Morris can can step up when, whenever Morris gets back and become the type of shooters that you need to spread the floor around Kyrie Irving because now it's just Kyrie and go. And we've seen some good things out of Brown. We've seen some good things out of Tatum. But can they expand the game? Can they stretch the floor? But this team is starting to mirror last year's team a lot. And you just got to hope that the Celtics shooting steps up somehow so they can have some level of success. I, I thought I thought that was obvious in the Cleveland game, and even I watched a little bit of last night's game. That that spread offense is so awesome that Brad Stevens has put in. Until teams aren't scared of guys to shoot from the outside, and then the spread offense isn't quite as great. You know, I broke down a play on Boston.com where one of the keys to the play was simply Gordon Hayward parking himself in the corner and occupying a defender and giving the the rest of the Celtics like seventy percent of the half court to run a four-on-four set that gave them five different options. 
So without that, there's nobody with Hayward's shooting ability that can occupy a defender. And you, you mentioned it before, that little bit, that little bit being off changes the entire dynamic of what's going on on the floor. If that defender, instead of parking himself inside Hayward's shorts, can take two more steps to the left, well, now that prevents a drive. That prevents a backdoor cut. That takes away two or three different options just from him being able to slide over a little bit. That's going to hurt the Celtics offense. They're going to have to figure out how to run a motion, spread, read and react without that one guy that can really spread the floor. And, again, shortened preseason, didn't give them a lot of practice time to begin with. Now they've got to readjust their offense on the fly without one A of their two number one guys. That That's a lot to ask these guys so soon. So, so the, the, we already wondered if they were going to struggle early. Now they're probably going to struggle for the foreseeable future. I am uh, Gordon-centric on this one, just having covered him and rooted for him for as long as I have. Here's the one thought I, I had probably, you know, it always felt inappropriate having basketball thoughts in the last 24 hours about it. I, I thought it was an interesting mix this year that Kyrie and Gordon were the two lead dogs and you had these young stars rising in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. What I think is going to be really interesting next year is when Gordon comes back, hoping all's well, how you're going to get Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to take the step back to allow Hayward back in. Well, look, uh, it, that's, that's going to be a good problem to have, I would say, if you want to take a silver lining approach, okay? And look, this is what we're doing here. <laughs> Gordon, Hayward, Gordon Hayward's out, right? Like, there's nothing you can say. We've sent our thoughts. We, you know, we, we feel for him. We, nobody ever wanted this. But here we are. We've got to look at things moving forward. So looking forward, what happens? Tatum gets a ton of minutes. He's already in the starting lineup. He's probably going to stay there for a little while, especially now. We, you know, I thought when Morris came back, Tatum might take a, a little bit of a, you know, he might go to the bench. But with Hayward out, even when Morris comes back, he's probably going to stay in that starting lineup. So great. You've got a rookie. He's going to adjust. This was never going to be a championship year, really, for the Celtics. They Even the owner, uh, Wick Grosbeck, was on the radio a couple days ago saying, we hope to be legitimate contenders against the Warriors in a couple of years, within the next two or three years. So they basically admitted that this wasn't going to be a championship year. Everybody knows it. They know it. So, all right, Hayward's out. Sucks. But looking forward, Tatum gets minutes. Brown gets minutes. They become better. What's the problem? Hayward comes back, and now all of a sudden you've got two guys. If Tatum, honestly, if Tatum plays the entire year, the way he's played in games one and two, obviously small sample size, but if that's how he's going to be, he'll get rookie of the year vote. He's been playing really, really well, and people are going to take notice. Jalen Brown has taken a big step forward. If he continues to play like this, he's led the team in scoring for two straight games. So if he continues to play like this, he emerges as an important threat. Now you've got four quality options scoring-wise and Al Horford that you can run your offense through. Now what, do you, what are you as a team? Now you're a legitimate title contender. So nobody has to take a step back. You just run your motion, free-form, read-and-react offense and let the options go where they go, and everybody's a threat to score, and you just pile up more points. That's, if you're looking forward for a best-case scenario out of a worst-case uh, current situation, that'll be it. Final thought for you. I didn't think Cleveland looked very good the other night either. Who's the number one seed in the East? Well, I, I agree. Cleveland's perimeter defense is terrible. I mean, that, that's part of why the Celtics were able to come back. 
They just attacked, attacked, attacked those guards. Who's got the, the best backcourt in the East? Probably Washington, right? All of a sudden, Washington is poised to, to slide in and potentially become the number one seed in the East. I don't think Cleveland is going to address any of those issues. LeBron's going to coach like he did last year. Their defense, their transition defense in Cleveland, still terrible. Now, we know that they might turn it on in the playoffs. We'll see what happens then. But in the regular season, I think this injury elevates Washington to that top seed. John Corrales, Locked on Celtics. Thanks for the inside look at the local experts on the biggest stories in the NBA. Thanks very much. You got it. John Corrales, Jay King, Sam Packard, Locked on Celtics do a great job. Today's show brought to you by SeatGeek. Download the app SeatGeek and you've got the best modern way to get tickets to any event. It's really simple. Download the app, then go to the settings tab, enter in the promo code LOCKED, and now you get $20 back on your first purchase. Why SeatGeek? First, they compile all of the tickets from all the people around the area and everywhere around and give you all the tickets in one spot so you don't have to call multiple people. Second... They put a ticket score on each of those tickets. So if you don't know the arena, the venue, or whatever you're going to, they tell you which the best value is. And third, once it comes to your phone, it's secured and right there for you. So you got the ease of having everybody involved. Two, you got the knowledge. And three, you have the security. Plus, with the promo code LOCKED, you have $20 back on your first purchase. That's how I get my tickets to a concert, theater, or a ball game. It's SeatGeek, and you should do the same. Also, you can set a price alert to any upcoming event you might be interested in going to. It's SeatGeek. Now, let's move the focus to Toronto. Our next stop is across the border, heading up north to see the Raptors, and Sean Woodley locked on Raptors host. Sean, this is really just because I actually, it's almost like I'm talking to a shrink. Um, <laughs> so I did, the, I don't know if you heard the Pelton Locked on NBA podcast. But all I did not yet. I'm, it's on my list. I'm coming up to it next. All of a sudden, I picked the Raptors to be the number one seed in the East. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm here for this. This is. Uh, I've been too chicken to do this, but I've been wanting to do this the entire preseason. And then I watched Boston lose Gordon Hayward for the year and watched Boston play Cleveland, and I actually began to feel much better about the pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, Washington and Toronto for me are kind of both in that range of like teams that I wanted to take to to come number one, and like I'd probably lean to Washington being the more likely team to do it, just because like they're kind of more set in their starting five. The Raptors have some new guys they're working in and young guys they're working in, which could go either way. But yeah, I, I think the logic behind it makes sense, considering the Cavs are gonna sort of probably coast through the regular season and have some weird lineup things of their own to figure out. Yeah, the Celtics, unfortunately, losing Hayward, that's a huge blow, and it really sucks for the league, but that could benefit the Raptors or the Wizards, uh, but potentially the Raptors this season for sure. So let's get to the makeup of this roster, because I I think I like what they have. You have this veteran starting lineup that's done, been there, done that, and then this youthful bench with a bunch of players who they're not Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, like on the verge of being stars, but I think all of them Mm -hmm. are viable rotation players in the NBA that could be good. So is that makeup as good as I think it is? Yeah, I think it's it's really appealing to me because like they the Raptors have done this really good thing where they've kind of towed the line between developing guys and being good better than pretty much anyone else. And for like nine guys on the roster to be on rookie deals it's kind of risky to go into a season expecting to win 50-plus games and potentially be like a conference finals contender with that. But 
there's also a lot more upside to it than it was last year, say, when you have like Patrick Patterson and Damari Carroll and Corey Joseph, who for the most part are known commodities, but they're, they're not, the upside's not there. Whereas this season, like if Norm Powell really pops and if DeLon Wright really makes good on his playmaking ability and one of Pascal Siakam or Jakob Pertl really hits and OG Ananobi is like a reasonable sort of 10-minute kind of guy in his first season, like the, the upside I think is, is really high for this team. And like I don't, if everything breaks correctly, which I don't think it will, I think there will be guys who have hiccups and stuff like that, but like I think the upside's there for like another 56-ish win season if everything kind of falls into place. I'd probably lean more towards like 50-51 wins, but I think the upside that you get with having all these young guys is like way more preferable to what they had last year. All right, but if you win 56 games, you're the number one seed in the East easy. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that it's on the table. I don't think it's because, like, like, they're young guys, right? And OG Ananobi, he's probably going to take some time to figure things out, especially since he missed so much time uh, at Indiana and he's been rehabbing all summer. And then, you know, like Norm Powell, he's got a lot of upside, and I like Norm Powell, and, and Toronto Raptors fans adore Norm Powell, but. You no, know, there's some still sort of kinks with his game. He's got to work out. There's some shooting issues with the team. And I guess the big thing we haven't really touched on yet is that they're kind of trying to change how they play offense. I think there will be some growing pains with that that will kind of cut into their win total at the end of the year. But I still think they'll be, you know, if everything goes to plan, by the end of the season they'll look a lot better than they do at the start of the year for sure. All right, so I was talking to a scout last night who said to me that, um, you know, he watched Toronto and it did look totally different. There's all these – more all these threes coaches can do a lot of things during the preseason mm-hmm. and then and and I was actually with Nate McMillan Dwayne Casey might have even been on the staff maybe Case had left by then and they went through a whole training camp one way and then the minute the season started the coach was so un- Nate was so uncomfortable with running that he brought them all back yeah. uh, what's your feeling on what is really true about the way Toronto's going to play this game so I think a lot of it kind of hinges on DeMar DeRozan mostly because like there's if he wants to go back to his old habits where he's jacking up mid-range twos and not looking for his teammates, then this is all going to kind of fall apart. But like the thing that I, I feel confident with like Dwayne Casey, for example, like I think he's committed to this because first of all, I think he thinks his job probably depends on it because this is kind of the last kick that they can't. They can't figure out how to change the sort of playoff issues this team has had over the last few years. Casey's going to be the guy that loses his job. So there's incentive for him to stick with this over the course of the year, even if there are some growing pains. And they have this crazy six-game road trip in, like, the first two weeks of the season at West that could really sort of be a bit of a hiccup here. And if they lose some games there, then maybe they sort of fall back on old habits. But I think I'm confident that Casey's going to want to do it, and I think he's going to stick with it because the personnel kind of fits a more run-and-gun style team. Yes, there's not a ton of shooting, but there are more good passers on this team, and there's a lot of guys who are just really good in space. Like Pascal Siakam, I don't know if you've ever seen that dude run. He is one of the fastest big men I've ever seen get up the floor. Norm Powell likes to run. DeLon, like, DeLon Wright likes to run. And like Kyle Lowry's at his best on those second units when he's running as well. So the personnel's there for it to be a faster-paced team and a team that sort of spreads it out a bit more. But if the Rosen doesn't want to be a part of that, which I I think he's going to want to be, he's done a really good job of it in the preseason. And over the last couple of seasons, he's gotten better as a playmaker. I think, you know, if he's committed to it, then the the, the sort of commitment from the team will still stay. But if he's going to fall back on old habits, that's where it could fall apart. But even then, if you fall back on old habits, you're looking at, you know, a top 10 offense that's really efficient in the regular season. You have issues in the playoffs, of course, but they know they can win with the formula they've had in the past. All right. If you had to choose two final questions for you, I don't think you're doing a very sure. good job of me coming to the shrink and you helping me out here. Um, <laughs> if if you had to choose one of them, of the young guns, right, 
Powell. Uh, Powell is a huge fan of Powell. I'm not sure. I think he has another step. But if you had mm-hmm. to make a guess on – so Siakam, Powell, Wright, Pirtle. Am I missing it? Uh, Ananobi. Ananobi. If you yeah. had to guess on one of them to take a, a significant jump and be thought of as a different player at the end of the year than they are today, who are you taking? I would say Norm Powell's already kind of established himself as someone that is like a very sexy NBA, like Twitter kind of player. So I'm not going to say him because it's kind of cheating. I would say DeLon Wright. I think by the end of the season, people could be talking about him as like maybe the best backup point guard in the league, one of the best defensive point guards in the league. Um, and if I'm going long term, I would say maybe OG and Obi probably has the highest upside of all these guys. But I don't know. DeLon Wright is so fun, man. You'll meet people in Utah. They've seen him. He's just, he, he's so herky jerky and weird. He's kind of a throwback point guard, but he's still smart. And like his passing is incredible. And his driving kick game is maybe the best on the team already. Uh, I think by the end of the season, people are going to look at DeLon and be like thinking of him, like maybe not as a potential, like top tier starter type player, but a guy who is widely considered to be one of the best backup point guards in the league. And again, like I said, his defensive potential is insane. So if he makes good on that as well, people will really sort of, I think, buy in on him. All right, so I came to the shrink's office for you to stop having me make this silly decision. I guess I'm going to change it. Are you going to join me? Are you going to come with me? Are you going to go, come on, all the cool kids are doing it. Are you got to pick the Raptors <laughs> as the number one seed. Uh, okay, I'll do it. I'll officially do it here. I haven't made like official predictions on the podcast yet, so I can still do it. I'll say, uh, yeah, the Raptors win like 54 games and then they end up the one seed. Uh, this is probably going to go terribly, but I'm with you now. All right, I'm going to rerun my pack writings without Gordon Hayward and see what happens, <laughs> and, and then I'll decide if I'm really doing the drug with you. All right, thank oh, you. So, oh, so that's how uh, Oh, okay. yes, I lured you down the street, and then I left. Oh, I'm that friend. Oh, sorry. You caught exactly what I did to you. Sean Woodley, Locked on Raptors. He does a great job. Make sure you grab it. The local angle on the biggest stories in the NBA here on the Locked on Podcast Network. Before we jump over to the West and Minnesota and Colton and Lockdown Wolves, let me tell you about Warby Parker. Warby Parker decided to just blow up the whole glasses eyewear world, and they've done a heck of a good job doing it. They were founded with a little bit of a rebellious spirit and a lofty goal, and that was to create boutique quality eyewear at a revolutionary price point. They've done that. Glasses start at $95, including prescription lenses, anti-glare, anti-scratch. Just fabulous. And the most fun part is the five glasses home try-on that you're able to do. Go to warbyparker.com slash locked, and you'll get five pairs of glasses that you can have come home, try them on, and then you return them. No obligation at all. If you choose one you like, they'll send it out to you right after that. It's a wonderful experience. Go to warbyparker.com slash locked. I have the Jennings. That's my personal favorite uh, that I've got. I've got about three or four pair. Actually, my wife makes fun of me for the excessive amount of Warby Parker. So WarbyParker.com slash locked. And by the way, they also have the new iTunes app. You can download. So after you've done your home try on, uh, you can do that and you can take photos and quickly share all of what's going on with your home try on. Brought to you, Warby Parker, getting eyeglasses at a great price. And also for everyone you buy, they give one to someone who needs eyewear. So pretty cool. Warbyparker.com slash locked. All right, we finished up with the Eastern Conference. Let's move over to the West. We've talked so much thunder. The Rockets get the big win over the Warriors. I'm sure we'll talk about them a lot. There's one team that I feel like is really, really interesting, flying under the radar a little bit, has some 
uh, brilliance potential and has some issues. And I wanted to talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves with Colton Molesky, the host of Locked On Wolves here on the Locked On Podcast Network. And Colton, thanks so much. Opening night loss to the Spurs. Just first get me your impressions of what you saw out of this team with a very limited sample size, and then we'll dig into some of the questions I have about it. There's a lot of growing to do. That's that's my initial takeaway is this team looked kind of rusty and there were some really, really good-looking spots and there were some pretty bad spots, and you just got to give this team more time to grow. All right, so here, let me dig in. I love the, you know, the Jimmy Butler move is awesome. It's the right move. Taj Gibson there. Everything Scott Layden and Tom Thibodeau did in the offseason were right. So let's let's make sure that's really, well, probably everything. One of them I could probably debate a little bit. Uh, I think we're right. Uh, I'm not sure. I, didn't, I still don't think Ricky Rubio is the right fit for uh, this much talent. But that's that's a debate that uh, we can have some other time. So one thing that's really interesting to me about this team is for all the talk about the Thunder trying to gel Carmelo and Paul George with Russ and Chris Paul with James Harden uh, and that group is if you actually take the average shot attempts by each guy on Minnesota last year and you add them up, it's like 20 extra shots, maybe even 25 to a game. Each of these guys is going to have to take about 15% fewer shots. If Carl Anthony Downs took 20 last year, he's going to have to take 17 this year. How's that going to work? You're right. It's a ton of shots, and I, I really think it starts with Jimmy Butler. I think he needs to be the leader, and I think he needs to take a look. I think it's going to be a little bit like when the Miami Heat brought in Bosch and brought in LeBron James and Dwayne Wade took a little bit of a, a step back. I think Jimmy Butler needs to be the guy who facilitates more than he shoots. He had 12 points the other night and three assists. I want to see him do things like he did last night when he drove to the basket, had the edge for maybe a tough layup, and dished it over to to Wiggins for the easy slam dunk. I want to see him make more plays like that where he's willing to give up the ball to give somebody an easier bucket just because he needs to take a few less shots and he needs to be the leader and needs to facilitate, needs to create offense instead of being the offense. So let me play devil's advocate on this just for the sake of a better podcast and a better conversation. Part one of my devil's advocate to that is, does Jimmy Butler have any interest in doing that? Or did Jimmy Butler go to Minnesota to try to be an MVP candidate? I think Jimmy Butler came to Minnesota because he knew that Thibodeau would he would he knew he would fit into Thibodeau's system and he knew he would be a leader. And this if you're Thibodeau, now this is one of the things you come alongside him and say, All right, do you want to be a leader? This is what leading a team is like. You gotta sometimes take a, a step back from stuff you like to do to to do the dirty work and to be the guy for the team. So I think you're exactly right. We'll see whether that works or not. The part two of this, and I'm gonna use my pack rating, which is if those who listen to Locked on NBA probably gotten used to by now, but it's my uh, metric on how I evaluate offensive players. For those who don't know it, it's you take the amount of scoring opportunities a player uses in a night. So let's take Carl Anthony Towns. He uses 20 a night. And if an average player used those 20 compared to Carl Anthony Towns, Carl Anthony Towns scores 2.7 points per night more than an average player. It's one of the five best, six best. That's a ton. Two is like... There's six guys in the league that are over two. Carl Anthony Towns one of the best players in the league. Here's what's interesting. Jimmy Butler is a 1.5 pack player. Well, so what? Well, Andrew Wiggins is a minus .8. Jeff Teague is not a very efficient offensive player. 
if, if, if you'd like the exact number, he was better last year in Indiana than he ever was in Atlanta, and Jeff Teague was a point six. I don't want Jimmy Butler giving up possessions. Jimmy Butler is a crazily good offensive player who's super efficient. That's not the guy I want giving up possessions. He's a plus 1.4 pack player in his 20 scoring opportunities last year. The problem here for me is, and I know he's, he's a great offensive player. He's really good in so many offensive spots. But the problem is, is that if you don't get Wiggins involved, now Wiggins, who needs to grow on the defensive side, isn't taking as many shots, isn't scoring, and he's still learning to be a solid defender on the other side. Now you're kind of taking a loss at Andrew Wiggins. So I know that Jimmy Butler is going to play really good defense. If I can get really good defense out of him and maybe a few less shots, and I'm getting really good offense out of Andrew Wiggins and maybe a couple bad defensive plays, now it's starting to even out for me. But if I have Wiggins and or if I have Towns and Butler doing all the scoring and Wiggins is a liability on both ends now for me, now you're starting to have some problems with your starting five. And I think that's a that's a hole that you really don't want to get into if you're the Timberwolves. All right, let's flip it the other side. It's just been assumed that they're getting better defensively because they have Thibodeau as the head coach. Understandably, he's, been a, he's a great, I mean, maybe the great defensive coach. Yet, weren't they 29th in the league last year? Or no, they jumped. That was Denver. They, they were, were what twenty four, six in the league 20, like, in defenses. So what do we? What's realistic here? Like, do we think they can go to average? That's a huge jump. Do you think that just Jimmy Butler and Taj Gibson get them to where? What's your thought? I would really like to see them just jump to maybe twentieth, nineteenth. If you have one of the top rated offenses in the league, and you can just make a five to six position jump on your defensive net rating, that would be a huge jump. Uh, I don't I don't know if they get to, to, honestly, middle of the pack or 15th, 14th in the league in defense just because so much of playing defense is instinctual and just knowing when somebody starts to move in a certain direction what the right play is. And I don't know if you make that jump in one year. I mean, it's possible. Wiggins and Towns have the, the raw talent, right, to, to become really elite players. But – I don't know if it's possible to make that big of a jump in one season. So I'm looking for for just smaller things. I'm looking for Wiggins to really play tight to guys consistently throughout four quarters. I'm looking for Towns to be more physical under the basket. I mean, LaMarcus Aldridge did whatever he wanted last night, really close to the rim with the, those spin moves. I want, I want Towns to make guys like that more uncomfortable with how close they're playing, how physical they're being under the basket. If they could just do a couple little things, that'll help the defense a lot. And it's something that they can do this season as opposed to trying to fix everything this season in year one. It's interesting. I'm look, I think what a lot of this conversation is, is Colton, is I'm looking at this team trying to figure out if I think they can be the fourth best team in the West, and that might be unfair. They only won 31 games last year. To ask them to go win 51, 52, 53, which would be the fourth best team in the West, that, that, that might be just too much to ask. Yeah, I really I think it is uh, that a big jump to ask of this relatively young still Timberwolves team uh, that twenty game jump. I, I'm looking at them more as a sixth or seventh seed and making that because that would be about a thirteen twelve game jump for them, and that's more realistic. Just if they can tweak some things defensively, I think the offense can carry them through a lot of a lot of games and win some games that they, they're really supposed to win. Like if you see the Phoenix Suns roll in town, that's a game they're supposed to win. Offense will carry them instead of the defense. And 
the defensive tweaks I think will be good enough for that 13 game jump to get into that sixth spot. But fourth in the West is going to be really tough to grab. Colton, great report. Keep up the great work on Locked on Wolves and appreciate the local insight from the experts on the team. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, David. That is your edition of Locked on NBA brought to you by SeatGeek. Promo code LOCKED. $20 back. Warby Parker. WarbyParker.com slash locked for your home try on. That's our plan this year. We'll see if we execute it. One guest a week like we had Pelton earlier in the week and then one run through the NBA with the local experts on the biggest stories of the league. This has been Locked on NBA. Go subscribe to your favorite NBA team's Locked on podcast on the Locked on Podcast Network.